Hello and welcome to Stick Around, a suicide discussion. If you or someone you love struggle with mental illness, this is the place to be. I'm Kel Bjorn, and I'm passionate about helping others discover ways to find value in their lives. You've got friends, you've got family, you've got plenty of people who want you to stick around. So let's open up and see if we can make a difference. All right, welcome back, everyone. Kelp Bjorn here, ready for another episode of the Stick Around podcast. Uh, this week, I am sitting down with our guest, Clifford Bowman. Is it Bowman or Bauman? Bauman. Bauman. Okay. Yeah. Nice. B-A-U-M-A-N, everybody. It's like you mm-hmm. can guess yourself, see how you're going to say that one. I bet you get that butchered all the time. I'll, they say Bauman, Bowman. It, yeah. it's, it's fine. It's all good. <laughs> right on. Well, Clifford is an internationally known motivational speaker talking about post-traumatic stress disorder. Most of you would know that as PTSD, mental health, and suicide. Um, as a survivor of an attempted suicide, he realizes the importance of getting counseling and having a strong support structure. After being diagnosed with PTSD from 18 hours as a first responder to the Pentagon during the September 11, 2001 terror attack, he initially dealt with his condition on his own. Cliff saw that he... that. That was not working, and he sought treatment, which changed his life. He now believes that counseling has made him a stronger man and a stronger soldier. So welcome to the show, Cliff. Hey, good morning. How are you doing today? Good. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, you know, I've, I've interviewed people from kind of all aspects of this spectrum of mental health, whether they've lost someone to suicide or struggled themselves um, a couple people in the military side of things, but I'm, I'm excited to talk to you because I haven't really gone down that road a whole lot with PTSD and the effects that our, our military soldiers in the country are dealing with, um, day in and day out. There's, there's, I just did an interview last week with, with a guy who's pretty involved and sharing some of the numbers with me of veteran suicides and, and dealing with oh, PTSD yeah. are just, mm-hmm. they're astounding. Yeah. how high those numbers are. So um, I'm excited to kind of dig into this topic with you. But but first off, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Where did you grow up? Where are you at now? Kind of. Yeah, well, I, yeah. well, I grew up in a small town in a war in Missouri. It's about 6,000 people. Uh, oh, wow. Joined, joined the military when I was 17. Uh, actually, my older brother had joined. He was four years older. He had joined before me and I couldn't let him out do me. Yeah. And uh, we always were dueling each other in sports and stuff. So it's like in wrestling, uh, he had a bunch of school records. And of course I had to break them all, yeah. uh, you know, when I came <laughs> up wrestling, <laughs> you know, I, I joined the military, you know, and at the age of 17, went to basic training there at Fort Linwood, Missouri, then on to my advanced individual training here at Fort Eustis, Virginia. Um, you know, military's, you know, it's, it's an interesting life, right? I was in the army national guard for 34 years. I just retired this August 31st. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So I was in just almost enough to make it a career. I was just almost there. Yeah. Um, you know, but to be in the military and to have mental health issues and suffer from PTSD, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, 10 years ago when I decided to go down this road of, of talking about my suicide attempt and, you know, mental health and then continue to have a successful military career, it was because of soldier's feedback I got when I went to training for the Army. Um, and that training was master resiliency training that the Army was doing, MRT. 
And this was a new program they put in place to help soldiers be more resilient because the suicide numbers were creeping up, you know, even back, you know, nine years ago, 10 years ago. And it was during this training that I was at University of Pennsylvania. I was there for about two weeks and people know me as, you know, I'm a, I'm a happy go lucky guy, you know, I'm the guy that, you know, when work's done, let's go hang out the bar and have a drink or, you know, play trivia or whatever to college kids there at UPenn. And, you know, they just kind of knew me as this happy-go-lucky guy where towards the end, I decided to get up and, and speak about my suicide attempt. And they were completely blown away because wow. they never they never saw that coming from me. They never thought that in the persona that Cliff Bauman was putting on there at the training that, that he would ever have this story. But we all have stories, right? And it was the feedback I got from soldiers from that, that day uh, coming up and talking. I had six soldiers and three of them had attempted suicide in the unit, knew nothing about it. You know, in the military, there's a big stigma about going and getting help back then. Uh, there still is some today, but it's getting a lot better. Hmm. Um, and, you know, it was shortly after I finished that training, I returned back to Virginia. I worked at headquarters trade at the time that uh, VA Make the Connection had had talked about the new campaign they did. Um, on, well, it, was, it was Veterans Administration for Make the Connection. And that was when I did my first video. And at that time, I was the only active duty officer to publicly speak about my suicide attempt and mental health and going and getting help. Um, at that time, that video was the highest producing video uh, for VMA to connect when they first came out with that program. Wow. And then from then on, I just continued, um, you know, doing speaking events and going out and talking with soldiers and and telling my story of hope and how how I went down and the path I went down uh, that eventually led up to my suicide attempt, of course, after 9-11. Yeah. So you mentioned the, the stigma of even seeking out help in the military. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by that? I mean, is it kind of looked down on, like, just embarrassed well, to, to bring that when, up? When or? I had, well, it, it's multiple things. So it's, it's several different things. Um, you know, when I had my suicide attempt in 2002, you know, back then the military, um, you know, when you have mental health issues, they would put you on orders for 60 days and then tap you out. Wow. You know, and I talk about this, I was lucky I had commanders that supported me going in and getting help. And that really kept me from that happening to me. Yeah, um, that has now since changed. And what we see in the military a lot is, is it's a combination. So it's either the soldier has a self stigma because of the way they were raised about going and asking for help. Mm-hmm. Some of it's just, you know, the military, you know, environment, you know, who are, we're tough, we're strong. Yeah, uh, nothing can be wrong. They don't want to let down their team members. Um, you know, some of it can be, you know, the chain of command or, or the mission's more important than going and getting yourself, but you really don't see that much anymore nowadays. A lot of commanders will support soldiers going and getting the help that they need. Um, and in the last study I did with the IG, the inspecting general, that's really what we saw was the biggest issue was the commanders and the unit supported the soldier going and getting help but they still kind of had a self stigma about going and asking for help. Yeah. Uh, you know, so, it, you know, we know with suicide, it's deep and personal to that person. And, you know, we can try to get similarities with training military always wants to train. Right. So we have the training military, the suicide prevention training is called ACE, ask care escort needed every year. It's mandatory. And, you know, it's, um, you know, with that training every year and people still have an issue with going and asking for help. And I think the more we go out and we talk about it, we do podcasts like what we're doing here today and just kind of bring it to the forefront. I think soldiers realize that it's okay to go out and, and ask for help. Um, you know, I had a very long military career after my suicide attempt, you know, at age 30, I went on and served another, you know, 12 more years in the service. 
um, and was very successful. So you can still have issues and problems no matter what you do in life and still be able to go out and be successful, whether it's in the military or civilian or, or whatever you choose to do. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's, that's great to hear in the last 20 years that there have been some changes. Obviously that's nothing's perfect. There's still going to be some stigma out there, but Mm -hmm. the progress that they're making at least and and taking those steps when someone needs it, that's pretty cool to hear. Well, and just like you see across the board, I mean, we're short mental health providers. I mean, you see that in the civilian world and in the military, it's just, um, you know, it's just sometimes it's hard to get people to help, but the military has done a really good job and, the last 20 years and making it better for soldiers. Yeah. You know, and, I, and sadly to say, I think the wars, Afghanistan and Iraq and, and the other conflicts that we've had kind of help speed that process up with the soldiers coming back with, with issues and problems, much like they did after world war one and war two and yeah, Korean sure. and Vietnam war. So. Yeah. When the, the intro page that you sent me, um, you told me about a few medals that you've received. Um, mm-hmm. tell us about the Chesapeake Bay incident and getting the soldiers medal. I was curious about that. It sounds pretty. Yeah. Pretty so cool. if you don't know the history of the soldiers medal, soldiers medals is a medal given out for non-combat. It's the highest medal a soldier can receive, not combat related. Oh, okay. So the only medal that's given out less than the soldiers medal is the medal of honor. Right. Um, so, and then, so on that particular incident, um, my son, who's 17 now, he was five at the time. We lived down at, the Fort Eustis areas, we lived on Fort Monroe, right, right on the Chesapeake Bay there. And my son went, wanted to go fishing one morning. This was a Sunday morning. It was kind of cool like it is here in Virginia today. And we went out on the bay we're about five miles out. We're drift fishing. And I had a sergeant major friend of mine. And we're sitting there just drift fishing. And a big uh, tugboat was pushing a barge. And I picture this, the barge is 140 feet long and two stories tall. And this big yeah, tugboat pushing it. It's massive. And the waves were pretty normal that day. You know, it's one to two foot waves for the Chesapeake Bay. Uh, the water temperature is about 60 degrees, maybe a little bit less. Um, but as we're sitting there drift fishing, there was a small vessel, 17 foot vessel out there. And there's four guys in it and it wasn't getting out of the way. And I told my buddy Rick, I said, I think that barge is going to hit that boat. And so we started bringing in our fishing gear and stuff. And I grabbed my Costco, uh, Costco bag, my uh, Coast Guard bag up from the bottom with the life vest and stuff in it. And we started motoring over to that area. And if you can picture this, this barge, which is flat on the front, is pushing a pretty big wave out front. And as, as that barge came close, that boat didn't move. And that wave hit that boat the first time. The boat rocked forward. And when it rocked back, one of the guys in the vessels actually stood up, with had his hands on the, the barge, screaming, hey, hey, hey. Oh my and gosh. then the wave pushed the boat away from it. But when it rocked back, the boat rocked farther in. And then the barge ran over it. And when the barge ran over it, we came around the side. There was um, three guys were holding onto the capsized vessel. One guy was swimming. He went face down the water, uh, stopped moving. I I know how to swim. I am not a rescue swimmer. I immediately stripped down, put one life vest on me, threw on my arm and dove in the water. I swam about 20 yards over to him. I flipped him over. I have no idea how to do CPR in the water. I mean, I hit his chest. He would go under. Um, you know, I got my five-year boat yelling, you know, screaming, crying for daddy to get back in the boat because he didn't understand what what was going on because daddy's now all of a sudden in the water. Yeah. And another vessel had showed up and we tried to get that gentleman up in that vessel. We just, we couldn't do it. And so I vested him because I didn't want the body to sink. Uh, and they eventually got him in that vessel and rushed him to shore. But unfortunately he passed away and I'll talk Uh more about him in a minute. Um, but then I had to swim now another 30 yards over to the people that's on the capsized vessel. And so I, I climbed myself up on top of the capsized vessel. Now there's, 
there's three gentlemen here. They're in their mid sixties. The biggest guy was 300 pounds. Um, and he was probably the most panicky. So I, I got them all vested and I told him, I said, you're just going to have to calm down. You got your life vest on. You're not going to drown. We're going to try to get you in my boat. And I just need you to kind of refocus your energy here for a second. And so what we decided we would do is my buddy would back my boat up and I would put my ladder down and I would swim the guys around and I would rest my back against the capsized vessel with my feet on the bottom of the ladder and we'd sit them on a lap and then push and pull them in. It's very difficult to get people in the water because you know, you're always moving up and down. Yeah. Uh, the first guy took like 15 attempts to get him into the boat, but we eventually got him up there because he was just so big. Wow. Um, then I swam around to the vessel. I got the second gentleman. Uh, he was fairly easy to get in. He, he pretty much put himself in the boat. The third guy wasn't moving. I couldn't figure out why he wasn't moving. He was just laying parallel with the boat. And so when I swam over there, I realized that he was all tangled up with rope and fishing line. And thank God that oh. vessel didn't sink because it would have taken him down with him. Yeah. And so I had to get a knife and cut him free. You know, and the whole time this is going on, I'm trying to keep my son calm. I'm trying to keep them calm, you know, and so I get him cut free and he, he was so terrified with fear he couldn't move i mean he was stiff as a board and you hear about you know stories of people got that real dole of adrenaline in it, right and so as i swam around he wasn't bending or doing nothing so i just literally threw him up and over my engine and into the back of my boat wow. uh, of course now i'm 45 minutes in 60 degree less water so i'm becoming hyperthermic yeah. at this point and then my buddy had to pull me into the to the vessel and then of course we radioed in and we, we went back to fort monroe there and got to the marina and got the guys off. And of course, all the emergency crews were there and everything. And the one big guy I was telling you about that was panicking the most, he wanted to talk with me after I gave my report to the MPs and the police. And so I went over there to talk to him. And uh, he said, he said, you know, I, <laughs> I get choked up when I talk about this. He says, you know, I thought I was a goner. He said, but uh, the moment that you, the moment you left your boat, I saw a pair of angel wings behind you. Hmm. And he said, at that moment, I knew I was going to live. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so um, about a year later, it's a process. I, I had a ceremony and I received a soldier's medal for my efforts in saving those. Um, unfortunately, the gentleman that passed away, his, his name was Mr. Newsom. Uh, these gentlemen were up from North Carolina. They were just, there wasn't drinking. It was 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Uh, they just didn't understand the rules of the road uh, yeah. on how it was their responsibility to get out of the way of the commercial uh, vessels. And, um, it's just a sad, tragic accident. And, you know, I talk about that when I do my speaking events, because I tell people all the time, things can happen in your life unexpected, you know, right. So this was a day that we were going to go out fishing. Uh, it was a nice, pleasant day for my son that turned into a nightmare for him. And he had yeah. some PTSD issues after that. And we had to work through that. Um, I was injured, you know, in the rescue, it looked like somebody took a baseball bat to me. My boat was damaged. I had to take it in a oh, uh, nice story about that. Norfolk Marine, uh, well, I bought my, I just bought my boat three months prior to this happening. Jeez. And so now I'm bringing my boat back in and the service manager's kind of teasing me about it. Well, you don't want to drive a boat, you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he didn't know the story. Yeah. And so I told him how I got damaged and it took him like two months to fix my boat, to get the parts in and, and to fix it. My interior got ripped and my prop was bent and it, it was just a lot because there's a lot of crap floating around the water when all that yeah. was going on. And so he called me to come pick it up. And so I go and pick up the boat. And the owner of the, the company there, Mr. Garland was his name, he wanted to talk with me. And so I went in and was sitting in his office and I told him the story. And he says, you know what, I've, I've been a fisherman my whole life and I really appreciate what you did. And they fixed my boat for free. 
Wow. They wouldn't let me pay for it. That's so that awesome. was that was pretty awesome. That was I told them if I ever buy another boat, if I ever, and I will one day move back by the ocean, I'll definitely call them no matter where I am and buy a boat from them and come pick yeah. it up. Because you know, you just it's just amazing. What a great story. That's really cool. But you know, as as I was home recovering, you know, from my injuries from the rescue, you know, one thing started occurring to me is I started feeling very guilty. You know, what am I feeling guilty about? Feeling guilty about the one guy that passed away that I couldn't save. Right. And I had a good friend of mine who was a nurse, um, psych, psych, um, psychologist, uh, came over to my house and was visiting with me. And he says, you know what, Cliff? You know, sometimes bad things happen. He says, you know, but you did the best of your ability. You couldn't have done anything any different. Uh, and that was just a sad outcome to a tragic accident. He said, but three people went home that day would that wouldn't have had you not been there. Yeah. And it's so easy for us in our lives to focus on the negative and not the positive and things. Uh, you know, and that's one thing, you know, I do talk about is, you know, even though it's a tragic accident and it was horrible, uh, you know, there were three people that did go home that day that probably wouldn't have had, had we not been on the scene. Yeah. That's a great message. I mean, a lot of the mm-hmm. people that I talk to that have lost someone to suicide in particular, um, they go through that. There's guilt. You know, wishing, mm-hmm. oh, there's something I should have done. Like I should have noticed these signs. I should have taken this more seriously. But in the end, it's it's really a battle for themselves to just come to grips with this person made a decision, and you know, you did the best you could. Well, they say what every, roughly every 42 seconds somebody completes suicide, and every 43 seconds for the rest of their life somebody thinks they could have done something different. Yeah, yeah, that's crazy. Well, take us, I guess, to the uh, to back when 9-11 happened, where were you stationed at the time when, when that all was going well, on? Well, when 9-11 happened, I was at the National Guard Bureau. I worked in the, the J-6, which is, you know, the automations of the military, the joint staff. Okay. And on the, the day of 9-11, my boss, who happened to be an Air Force colonel, uh, was actually late coming into work. So at the Pentagon, they had started renovating the Pentagon. And so we had moved to a, an office building there in Crystal City while they were, were redoing our space, renovating the guard space there. And so we were scheduled to go over there and do some wiring and some other stuff that morning. But because my boss was 10 minutes late, I couldn't leave because I was the only officer in the office at that time. Uh, and then once he showed up, me and then he seven left and we started heading over there to the Pentagon. That's when the plane hit. Had he not showed up for work 10 minutes late, we would have been in the area where the plane hit. And I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you Oh my gosh. Uh, about this story. Yeah. Um, after the plane hit, I sent the gentleman that was with me back to the building to let him know where I was. And I moved forward. Uh, to try and help with the rescue attempts until I was I was command directed back to the building. Uh, once I got back to the building, I called a good friend of mine um, who worked for AT&T and we came up with an idea of using a spectrum analyzer to pick up cell phone frequencies because, you know, they, they can only emit through a certain frequency and that's FCC rules. Uh, and so we went back down on the scene on the early morning of the 12th. Uh, and spent all day on the 12th until late on the 13th um, searching for for victims of the of the attack. And of course, everybody we found, unfortunately, was deceased, hmm. um, you know, and that that being there and seeing what I saw was really had, you know, had a traumatic effect on me. And that's what led it ultimately to my suicide attempt uh, a year later. Yeah. Yeah, that's tragic. I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, so did you did you ever have any, I guess mental health issues before mm-hmm. this? Or no, really if, if somebody would have told me, you know, in 2001, that by the end of December of 2002, you would attempt suicide, I'd tell you you're damn crazy. 
Wow. You know, I just, we didn't have, I didn't have any issues or problems. Um, you know, it's one thing I tell people, you know, for me, it was a process, right? So, you know, about a, a year later, um, you know, the Washington, I don't know if a newspaper ran an article and they had the, the stories of the victims there and, and a boy, a 10 year old boy was, was lost his mother there and I had to crawl over half her body. And that, that really sped up my having bad dreams and drinking and, and not wanting to sleep at night because sleep brought on those dreams and those thoughts and those memories I didn't want to have anymore. And the guilt that I felt with not finding anybody alive. Um, you know, and so, so even in that case, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like in a case like this where the chances of survival are pretty slim, you're still feeling that kind of guilt. Like you just Mm -hmm. didn't do enough. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because you know that if, if they didn't get out within the first couple minutes, it, it wasn't going to get out. But you still have that hope, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I remember, you know, a story when I was there at the Pentagon, I remember we were on the back side of it. Uh, we had just picked up a frequency and I'd gone in to get the cell phone because at the time I didn't have a family. And Bob, the gentleman that was with me, he had a family. So if the building collapsed, he at least could tell him where I was at. Right. And I remember just coming back out and I noticed some personal belongings of, 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 a, you know, a purse was laying in the water and stuff. And so I picked it up to set it up out of the water. And the, I guess the FBI agents didn't like me disturbing the crime scene and started getting onto me. And I just, I'd been there for 12 hours. So I completely lost it, was screaming at him and, yeah. and was yelling at him because, you know, I'd already been there enough and they just showed up on scene and they just turned around and walked away. Yeah. Uh, they just didn't want to deal with me and with what I was dealing with. But, you know, that's, that's one of the, the things you go through, you know, when you experience a traumatic event, um, you know, and then, you know, being a happy go lucky guy at work, I'm not sleeping now I'm drinking more. Um, and so I was command directed into counseling. Right. Oh, so I was voluntarily okay. told to go to counseling. You yeah. have a problem. You want counseling. Well, like I said, back then that was a career killer. Right. So what am I going to do when I go to that, that psychologist? I was very good at lying to him. Cause I just want to get the stamp saying, Hey, you're okay. Yeah. Right. And which was completely the wrong thing to do. I know that now yeah. back then I didn't know that, um, you know, so I manipulated him because, and got that stamp and, and I was just more careful when I was at work. And then I was home on December for, for Christmas. So my brother's house there in Kansas city. And I, I don't know what triggered me that night. Um, I do know I was taking um, the earlier versions in Ambien, you know, so I don't know if that maybe had an effect on me. I don't know. Hmm. Uh, but I just had an overwhelming of, of guilt and, and frustration and I was tired. And people ask me all the time, you know, what, what was I thinking at that moment? And, and I'm very honest about that. And I'll, I'll talk about it here in a second. You know, for one, I was tired. I was tired over the fact that I couldn't explain to my family what was going on with me and they were constantly asking me are you okay is there something we can do what's going on and i couldn't give an answer because i didn't understand it um the second thing i was stressed out with work you know because you know hiding things from working with what i was doing uh was becoming very tiring on me and it was very stressful and you know it was uh it it just you know they said it's a culminating effect right When, when it all comes together at that moment and you go against every cell in your being wants to be alive and you no longer want to be alive and for whatever night that it, it connected, um, I wrote a note. I took over 20 sleeping pills. Um, my older brother, who's a nurse at Truman Medical Center, just a mile from his house, he happened to call home and just to check on me and see how I was doing. And I didn't answer the phone. And he got scared and he left work 
and immediately ran home and found me unconscious and rushed me to the hospital. Wow. And that, that saved my life. And so, you know, when you're waking up from the fog of the medications and the things they give you to try to save your life, um, it's kind of funny and I laugh about it because I got this bright light in front of me. And, and the first person I see is my brother. And for a split second, I thought my brother was God. I'm like, what are you God? Cause you got this bright light. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you've been holding out on me. So that, that, that was kind of funny, but sorry, my air things are flying. So, you know, in, in Missouri, when you tempt on your life, you have to go, you know, to a state mental hospital to get evaluated, make sure nothing further hurts yourself for at least 72 hours. And it was during that time when I'm in there that I, I kind of realized that what I was doing was wrong and it wasn't, wasn't helping. And so when I was released from the hospital and I had to drive from Missouri back out to Virginia um, is when I really decided I wasn't going to focus on my military career and I was going to focus on me and getting myself better. Uh, and then so when I reentered counseling, I had a, a different perspective. And now this time I was more honest with my counselor about what went on and things I was feeling. And, and then, um, you know, they, they decided they took me off all the medications. Uh, the doctor decided that. And, and, and then as I, as I, as I progressed and got better, uh, you know, then I truly, you know, felt like a big weight being lifted off of me to finally tell the whole story and be honest about why I felt like it. And just to know that it was okay to have those feelings. Yeah. And I think for sometimes a lot of people, they don't think it's okay to have those feelings. And a lot of times it's okay to have those feelings. We all have them. Yeah. A lot of times people just think, what, what's wrong with me? Like, why am I so different yeah. to have these feelings? But you're not the only one. Right. I am curious, um, you know, for people that are struggling today, um, that might be on the verge of wanting or maybe even put a plan out to take their own life. I mean, you had the fortunate case to, to have someone aware and to take you to the hospital. Uh, mm -hmm. But what was that like, I guess, waking up from that fog and... I guess after you realized your brother wasn't God, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, what was the thought process after the fact? Um, um, I've 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 had different answers with this of other people that have had an attempt where they were so I, grateful, and others were kind of disappointed right after the fact. I was scared, really. Yeah, because um, I didn't know, you know, I didn't understand where I was at or what had happened. Uh, and then when I looked at what I did, I was scared in the fact that I, I got myself to that point hmm. uh, where I didn't pick up the phone and ask for help, you know, and, and so that made me very, very scared of myself and of my thoughts. And so that was one of the things that when I went back into therapy, I talked with my counselor about, you know, hmm. and knowing that. Um, you know, I don't have to be scared of those thoughts or feelings. And I know that's kind of a little bit different from everybody else, but um you know, for me growing up on a farm in Missouri and stuff, you know, we never, you know, we never talked about issues or problems and things. And so it was very, you know, humbling and scary for me when I started having those issues and problems. Yeah. So is counseling something that, I mean, obviously you went into counseling right away because you're mm -hmm. in a mental health facility. Uh, what was the strategy, I guess, after that? Did you keep up with counseling? Or yeah, to this day, I still, yeah, today I still see a counselor. Um, you know, when I go out and do my speaking events and things that we're talking about day, we're not always talking about the most, you know, best things that happen in your life. Um, this does take a toll on me, but I have a, a counselor that I see. Um, you know, I, I have a TBI injury also. I don't talk about that a whole lot, traumatic brain injury. Um, yeah. I am seen at the Intrepid Center there at Fort Belvoir, and they've made heads and strides with me and my recovery um, with that. Um, that's why we have those facilities there. 
Um, and so when I really start feeling down or, or it's really starting to wear on me, I'm smart enough now that I'll take a break from doing speaking events. I'm very busy in September. Uh, usually I will take a week off or, or a month off after and not, not do any speaking events just to help myself recharge and recover from it. Yeah. And I think it's important, you know, self-care is, is very important. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, find something that, that if you have a family, you enjoy doing with your family and then find things that you do by yourself that you enjoy doing by yourself to kind of reset your batteries and, and your way of thinking and stuff. Yeah. And I think sometimes we in this society, because we're so busy with stuff, we forget about it. Um, we know with the COVID-19 that this had a profound effect, not only on adults, but also children with being isolated. Yeah, uh, We've seen suicide rates in, in kids skyrocket too. And that's very scary and alarming. Um, but as we come out of the pandemic and things get back to normal, I always remind people that, you know, it's okay just to take that time for yourself and then also for your family and just find something that you enjoy to do. Uh, for me, I work out and I run. Um, that's just something that I do. I have to work around my injuries, obviously, with 34 years in the military. You're not going to have not have injuries. Yeah. Um, but I work around that and I do the best that I can. And, you know, I laugh at something. I said, sometimes when I get so frustrated or upset or, or stressed out, I got woods behind my house in Virginia. I just go scream at a tree, you know, yeah. and just let it all out and then continue with the day. Uh, you just got to find some way to release that when you have it and not let it build up. You don't let that little molehill become that mountain where you can no longer see the sunshine or the moon or whatever, you know, you just got to kind of keep that from happening. Yeah. That's great advice. Well, so when you're doing uh, speaking engagements, do you have kind of a, a crowd that you typically are trying to reach out to like an age group or, you know, some people focus on high school students. Some people focus on. No, well, you know, of course I speak mainly to, to veterans, to soldiers, uh, to family members now. Um, I don't really speak to high schoolers so much. Um, and I've done a couple of events, um, Facebook live events and things like that, but I really do. Most of my audience that I go and speak to are veterans or soldiers or their family members. Right. Um, and sometimes there are kids in the crowd, you know, when I go and do a speaking event, I always talk, you know, with the person that's heading up the event, you know, why am I coming there? Have you had suicides? Um, whether it be family members in attendance, whether it be solely military, whether it be veterans there, uh, because it kind of changes what I speak about and then also how I speak about things, right? So if there's kids in the room, you don't want to go into graphic details about things. Right. And and then again, if there's, you know, just a mix of military and veterans, then I can speak a different way. And I think it's very important because what really my ultimate goal is, is, is to get somebody who's maybe having issues or problems uh, to ask for help and not be like I was. And I didn't ask for help and I should have, you know, yeah. so don't be like me. Don't be like me and don't go ask for help. You know, be a real man or a real woman or or somebody and stand up and go and ask for that help, you know, because I didn't, because I wasn't strong enough. Yeah. What a great message. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Well, so what kind of uh, advice I guess would you have for besides obviously asking for help um, in military in particular, what other advice do you, do you offer some of these people? Well, you know, in the military, we have a different culture, but I, I always tell people that, you know, you need to take, you know, it's always mission first, right? So we got to complete our mission, but you always got to take care of your soldiers and, and your soldiers are needs you. And so when I, when I talk with, especially when I come out and do a speaking event and, and you kind of have to retrain commander's way of thinking. And I was a warrant officer, uh, you know, for in the military is I tell them that, when Cliff Bomb comes out and speak, it's going to be a trigger event for some, right? Because it's just what I talk about and I'm raw and honest when I speak. And so I always tell them that, you know, ideations are always a good thing, 
in the military, they kind of looked at it as a bad thing, but ideation is a good thing because that soldier's asking for help. Hmm. Right. He's not going to come up on an SIR serious incident report of, of attempting or completing suicide. He's actually asking for help. And so I want them to kind of rethink about how they think about reporting and things like that in the military. And ideations to me is always a good thing. It's not a negative thing, um, you know, because their soldiers are going to ask for help and they feel comfortable enough inside the command to go and ask for help. And one thing I remind soldiers all the time is, is if you don't think your command or your commander cares for you, then you're wrong. Because if they didn't, I wouldn't be standing here telling my story of hope. Right. They wouldn't have me come in to come and speak to you right. um, if they didn't think it was important to go and ask for help. Uh, so that's, you know, so that's one of the messages I try to get out, uh, you know, to soldiers to, you know, go and ask for that help and, and, and move forward. That's a great thing. I mean, I can imagine someone sitting in that audience and having someone tell them like, hey, if you're having ideations, you know, you're not the only one, first of all. Mm-hmm. And right. that's OK. Like now let's start the process of getting you the help you need because they might be starting down that road where you were and feeling Mm -hmm. like I don't want to ask for help or too scared to, or whatever the case may be. So just being more open about it, I think is, seems to be the answer. Yeah. You know, and I laugh, I cry, I joke when I do my speaking events, because I'm very emotional about it. You know, obviously I talk about, you know, my attempt and then I talk about, you know, my wife, she's active duty Navy. Um, She's currently stationed in Rhode Island. I'm in Virginia, you know, so the military has split us again. It's the, uh, what we've been together almost 14 years and we spent seven years apart. Wow. You know, really? so military, yeah. So, mil- you know, military is rough. It's hard. And we're, we're different military. She's active duty Navy and I was on it. Right. Um, so, you know, you get two differing services. And so with the military, we have a different, you know, it's, it's kind of tough uh, to keep the family, co- you know, together. And, you know, with COVID and everything, that's one of the reasons I decided to retire was, you know, I, I did 34 years. How many more years do I need to do? And I just I just wanted to be home with the boys. And, of course, knowing that she had at least one more tour to do tour and, you know, she was going to be gone. So that was kind of one of the decisions, you know, that, that I went ahead and finally made to go ahead and retire Yeah. Uh, to be home with the boys. And then, of course, she'll do three more years and then she'll retire and then we'll be done. Uh, and by then the youngest one will be 10. So we still have one at home. So, yeah, right on. But that's an aspect, you know, a lot of people who don't understand the military, you know, even if you're the same married in the same army, there's no guarantees you'll be at the same base. Wow. You know, cause it's the needs and missions of the army. So, or any service. And so, you know, you got different jobs and different specialities, you know, they're going to move wherever they need you to move. And, and you may be together and, you, and more than likely you're not going to be together. That and that creates jealous. a lot of, yeah, you know, that creates a lot of stress and problems. And then when you have children, right, uh, that makes it even worse. And even if your wife or significant other isn't in the service, that becomes very stressful because now let's say you move to a new, new area, we got stationed in Korea and you've never been out of the United States. And then yeah. your husband's there for two months and he gets deployed. And now you're left alone in Korea yeah. as a dependent. You can't work over there as a dependent. And you're stuck there with the two kids or three kids or however many you have in this foreign country you've never been in, you know, so it becomes a very stressful situation for a lot of families. And then, you know, when, when PCS season comes up, uh, permanent change of station comes up, that's a stressful time for families. Um, you know, because now you don't know if you're going to be together as a family or if you're going to be separated again. 
so there's a lot of things that go on in military life that I think a lot of people outside of the military just don't, they just don't understand. Yeah, you're right. I, I wouldn't have thought of most of those challenges you're talking about. Like I, mm-hmm. that's not, that hasn't been my life. So it's, yeah, what a challenge. It's crazy. Well, Cliff, I, I really just appreciate your story and being so open about it and really the, the effect that it's having on people and the difference that you're making is just really inspiring. Um, I do like to ask people if there, if there's any kind of, uh, a resource that you like to share with people, like, is there a book or another podcast or something out there that you'd like to recommend to people that, that you find inspiring? You know, I, I like watching motivational videos. I watch them for different kinds of things for all kinds of stuff. And I'm kind of having a down day. Yeah. Um, there's all kinds of organizations out there. I'm, I'm doing your podcast today. Um, next weekend I'm on veterans trash talk live on their podcast. Uh, so I'm looking forward to doing that much like I was looking at yours. Um, I do have a book, uh, hopefully that'll be published this year. Oh, sweet. Um, and those, all those updates will be out on my website. I do have resources links out on my website at cliffordbombing.com. Yeah. Okay. Um, you can go out there and see that. Um, one important thing I want to say is, and I know you never heard of this, the ABLE channel, which is a new channel that's coming out. Um, they actually filmed the documentary on surviving suicide and they have six stories. I'm actually episode one, and those are going to be released this year. Um, you can go on to the ABLE channel dot com now website and you can stream them for free there's six episodes in surviving suicide and so i'm very excited about that because that channel is going to look at mental health in a different way um and and how people deal with that and i'm very excited for this it was kind of delayed a year because of covid yeah but i'm really excited with what they're trying to do here with this channel and, and try to get people to think about mental health differently and so i'm very excited about that being released uh, i do have links to those out on my uh, my website. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was on uh, Throat Punch Mondays with Lee and Lee. It's a it's an offshoot from Veterans Trash Talk, and I was the first male. Yeah, I was the first male on their on their program. And uh, they usually talk about females and 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 you know fem- you know issues females have in the military with sexual harassment and rape oh, and things. Okay. Yeah, uh, and so I was very honored to go on their show, and that that was a good episode. Um, but I always tell people all, this all the time. You know, even if you don't think you're important, you're important to somebody and they love you and they want you here tomorrow and they will do everything in their being to help you. And you know who that person is. And I tell them all the time, just, you know, give them that one last chance to to help you and pick up that phone and call them and, and don't be like me. And, and, and I didn't call because I, I guarantee you that they want you here tomorrow, whether you think it or not. Yeah, uh, they do. And, and I get it. I know what it's like to be in that frame of mind because I've been there. So I've been from A and as close to Z as you can get without completing. And so I fully understand that process. And I, and I tell people that all the time. Uh, you know, it's very important. You're important. You know, one thing I learned is I was watching a uh, motivational video and the guy says, if you don't think you're important as a human being, do you know what the chances of you being born a human in this world? Do you know what the statistics are on that? No, I don't know. 400 trillion to one. Oh my gosh. So if you don't think you're not special as being a human being on this planet, then you're wrong. Cause you are, cause yeah. you could have been a whole bunch of different. And I, and I, I couldn't believe that. And I talk about that. I was like, wow, you know, I never thought about that. Yeah. You know, we true. are unique and, and special in our own little ways. Um, you know, and, and so I, I you know, we're all going to go through dark places in our life. We're all going to have depression. We're all going to get upset. Things aren't going to go right. Things are going to go wrong. That's life, right? 
And it's, it's how you deal with those different things. And I tell people this, that not just one thing's going to do it. Cliff Bauman's got a whole bunch of different tools in my toolbox that I can pull out and use. It's watching a motivational video. It's going out in the woods and yelling. It's, it's doing speaking events or doing podcasts. It's very therapeutic to me to, to just talk about, you know, what I'm feeling, what's going on that day. It's picking up a friend or going out with friends and, and having a drink and, and laughing and, and, and goofing off. Or, you know, it's it's taking a walk in the woods or, or for me, it's it's going for a run when I'm able to run. Um, you know, and so it's, it's just you just got to find whatever you're going through at that moment. Find what works best for you. And when you go and see a counselor or a therapist, if you're not comfortable with them, you have a right to go and change and find somebody else. You know, in the military, we always think we have to stick with the same therapist and you don't have to. You have the right to go and and find somebody that you do have that connection with, because if you don't have that connection, that trusting connection with with that therapist, they're not going to be able to treat you 100 percent. And it's it's not a ding on them. Um, But if you're not open and honest with them about everything and if you're guarded about some stuff, you know, they're just not going to be able to, to fully help you. And so you're better off to be honest with you and your therapist. And, if, and I've changed therapists. If I don't have a connection with him, uh, you know, I, I just go see somebody else until I have somebody that I see that, that have that connection with, because it's going to better help me. And it took me a long time to realize that and learn that. Um, so I give people that advice all the time that if you don't, if you're not having that connection with your therapist, you know, one good thing when you go to therapy, of course, you're going to talk about your issues and problems and things, but you need to ask them about things that you can do and have them give you suggestions on different tools to put in your toolbox yeah. uh, that might help you with, with, with going through. I know with, with, you know, medications and all kinds of things that, you know, it's always good to have that conversation with your doctor to find out uh, different ways and techniques. And there's a whole, I mean, with the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, they, the way they look at mental health and PTSD and treating it, they have just so many things that they do out there nowadays. Hmm. And we're all unique in, in, as an individual, you know, that's why when you go to the gym, uh, you can do 20 different exercises. It affects everybody differently. We're all different. We're all special and unique to ourselves. And so you just need to find all those little things that work for you. And it's not exactly the same for everybody. Yeah. I, I love how you put that. Like it's all about just finding the tools and putting them in your toolbox because from day to day, you might need something else, right? Yeah. This I mean, day. my kids drive me crazy some days. Oh, I mean, yeah. my 17 year old came home late the other night and I was up at one o'clock in the morning jumping down his butt. You know, but that's just one, you know, and it's just one of the things you got to do. And of course, the seven-year-old has his own challenges, right. uh, you know, and, and you got four kids. So, you know how it is, you know, oh, some yeah. days the kids just drive you batshit crazy. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. I mean, as parents, it, it's just one of the things my parents went through. I'm sure I drove my parents completely bonkers. There was five of us kids and I was number four or five. And I was the one that was always running off and disappearing. And, you know, <laughs> I was always out running around in the woods. Uh, um, you know, and, and so, you know, as you, you know, as parents and stuff, you just got to find, you just, you, you got to find that balance. And sometimes it's tough. And that one thing's going to balance that beam for you. It's going to take multiple things. Yeah. And so you just, you just got to get your tools in toolbox. And then if you need that wrench, you just pick it up and, and that'll help you get through the day or change. You know, one thing they teach us, and I'll, I'll bring this up in MRT is they call it hunt the good stuff. And what this is, 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 is this technique I like to use and I enjoy it that, you know, before you go to bed at night and this kind of resets your brain into thinking something is think about three good things that happened that day. Because no matter how shitty your day was, I guarantee you something good happened that day. Think about three good things and just kind of think about that as you lay down in bed. And what that does is it just puts your mind in a more positive 
aspect, you know, we start, you know, not drilling on the negative. Yeah. And, you know, that's a real easy technique that I use, you know, no matter how upsetting my day was or whatever went on, there was always three good things that happened that day. And so if if people would just think about that and, and you can have your kids do the same thing. I mean, when my little one lays down, I mean, well, she's upset because mom's not here, right. You know, dad can only, dad's not mom and mom's not dad. Yeah. And so, you know, we struggle with that, but then I just have Lloyd talk about, you know, some good things that went on in school or playing with his friends or starting Taekwondo. Uh, and so we kind of talk about those things even before he goes to sleep, you know? And yeah. so it's a technique that you can not only use for yourself, but you can use for your children and others around you and just kind of really think about those good things. And then that kind of helps you get more restful sleep. Cause we all know that that sleep's important for your mental health. Oh, yeah. uh, and that's something that I've struggled with for years for sleeping and intrepid centers actually helped me to the point where I'm actually sleeping more at night uh, without medication. And so that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. And so that's one easy technique that somebody can do. It's, it's simple. You don't have to really uh, think about it a lot, but you know, you can write it down. You cannot write it down. I don't write it down. I just lay in bed and think about, you know, some good things that happen and not th- hmm. think about all the bad things. So what do you normally do when you lay down in bed? Oh my God, I didn't get the laundry done. I didn't do yeah. this. I didn't check that email from work. I, you're thinking about all the things and, and then well, your mind's all your wrapped up. And looking at the news. None of that <laughs> right? <good> stuff. Right? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's just a simple thing that people can do. So focusing on three good things. You, you said there right before that thought was hunt, hunting for good things or hunt the good hunt stuff. Hunt the good stuff. Hunt the, hunt good, the good stuff. stuff. I like that. That's right. Yeah. So I, I think... I think that's important because you kind of have to actively hunt for good stuff, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. the negativity in the world around us is just flowing. It's just going to come yeah. and you yeah. have to actively kind of make a decision to like go focus on positive things. Yeah. So that's a real, that's a real tool. That's a real technique for sure. And an easy one. Right? Yeah. So, you know, uh, that's great. Well, Cliff, thanks again. I, I really appreciate all the, all the tips, advice that you're sharing and, I'll share some of those links that you're talking about for your website and uh, theablechannel.com here in the show notes so people can go straight there and check those out. Yeah, sure. And and I think all you have to do is enter an email address and you can stream those episodes for free. Oh, cool. Um, it's very interesting. They, they, Of course, they have my story. They have a, a, a young girl that's dealt with um, depression issues and her multiple suicide attempts. Uh, and then they have you know, a sister whose brother completed suicide, one of those stories and another one, I think her mom completed suicide. So, mm. you know, they, they kind of covered the whole game of those six episodes of, of different things. Um, you know, and so, yeah, so I have those links out on my website and if you share it, you can go out there and pull it down. Um, if you need links to anything, just let me know. I'll be more happy to email them to you. Um, thank you for having me on your podcast. If anybody's out there is listening to this podcast and they're not in a good place, um, just know you can always pick up the phone and call somebody. If you're a veteran, you can call the veterans crisis number. You can call the suicide hotline number. Um, and I'm sure you'll, you'll provide those numbers. Um, and just know that, you know, like I said earlier in the podcast, that you are important. You are important to somebody. They want you here tomorrow. Uh, don't be like me and pick up the phone and make that phone call and, and get the help that you need. Uh, and it'll be a struggle, but I trust me, you'll enjoy seeing the sunshine again or the night again. And I know what it's like not to enjoy those, uh, but I also know what it's like to enjoy them again. And it's way better than what you're going through now. Trust me. Wow. That is just, I love wrapping up with that. I mean, cause people that are really in that dark place don't see that hope, you know, they don't see that down the no. line. So coming from you, 
someone who's been there that can relate relate and have empathy for people that are in that spot that that it can get better right yeah just, just to hang on and have that hope it's inspiring yeah find that good stuff <laughs> hunt the good stuff Hey, thank you again for listening in today. If you truly are struggling and having suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. They are available 24 hours every day and are anxious to help people in need. If you prefer to text, I would recommend the Crisis Text Line. They provide 24-7 support via text message. They're here for everything from anxiety, depression, and suicide. So even if you don't consider yourself suicidal, please text HOME to 741-741. That's H-O-M-E to 741-741. And simply open up about how you're feeling. Until next time, let's all stick around and help each other find hope and see value in life.